to me and all the all the liberties and I talked about you know the um, uh, you know all the things that this, that this country stands for and then you've got places like Georgia and not just Georgia but Georgia is the most recent one that are trying to basically create new Jim Crow laws that prevent people from being able to register to vote. ID card laws, all of those things. They're calling it other things. They're, they're, they're basing it all on a lie that there was voter fraud in the 2020 election. Um, there was minimal voter fraud. And what happened, a lot of it was actually Republicans. Um, uh, and in order to attempt to keep black and brown communities from voting. And the John Lewis Civil Rights Act that uh, we're looking at in Washington right now would counter all of that. And um, I would be willing to end the filibuster to protect people's rights to vote over um, keeping the, uh, the filibuster and preserving you know, the right of a minority of senators to um, hold up legislation. I think you know, the rights of, of 100 senators are far less important than the rights of all Americans to actually exercise their constitutional right to vote. Absolutely. So, Senator Duckworth, I could talk to you for all day about the things that are going on in Washington. So rather than do that now, I know we really, and you introduced your book in that last answer. Thank you. Um, and I really want to get into that, but I'll just ask you this one thing. Will you promise to come back on so we can talk some more about these things and things that are going on in Washington sometime soon? Any day, all day, I'll be there. Love Happy it. to. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. Oh, absolutely. We'll <laughs> expect the call as soon as we hang up because we'll, we'll do that. But, <laughs> So you're young, and you're four years into the Senate. Why write a memoir now? My daughter. My daughter, Abigail. Uh, on the cover of the book, you can see her peeking out from under my desk. My daughter, Abigail, is just turned six at the end of last year. And she just now realizes that money doesn't have legs, and money can't do a lot of things that other mommies can do physically. Um, and, and she, the other, the other day, as I was reading her uh, book to her at night, um, before she went to bed, was touching what's left of my left leg and said, Mommy, why did you do it? Why did you go to Iraq? You know, but you can't help teach me to ride my bike now. Why, couldn't somebody else's mommy go? Or couldn't somebody else's daddy go? Why, why did you have to go? And that is what spurred me um, to write the book, because I wanted her to be able to have something that she could read and realize that, yeah, it was worth it. You know, this is really a love letter to America. It talks about me growing up in Asia, uh, biracial, um, discriminated against because I was actually half white um, and, and, and looked down upon. And then it talks about me growing up in poverty, um, uh, you know, when I was, when I was my, in my teenage years and then relying on food stamps. And at the end of the month, those food stamps would run out and we didn't get to eat. Um, you know, I did everything from selling roses out of a bucket on the side of the road to hustling people playing volleyball. So it's a pretty good volleyball player. So I would <laughs> hustle people. Um, and, 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 you know, and, I, and there's a guy I always play volleyball with. Um, and uh, this was in Hawaii. And the tourists would come and, and, they, and they, we, they would, you know, think they were pretty hot stuff on the, on the sand volleyball court. And they'd look over and they, you know, play with this guy. And he goes, hey, let's, 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 let's play a game. You know, I tell you what, I'll choose with my partner that little girl over there, that little eight, that little Chinese girl over there, and he'd point to me, and I'd be like, "Oh, me? You want me to play?" And then it would kick their butts. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so I did everything to raise money because at fifteen, my dad had been unemployed for five months, and no one would hire him. They just kept saying he was too experienced, but really, they were that was cold but too old. Um, you know, my mom was doing; she was sewing for piece work. She was babysitting. We were scraping every penny we could to try to keep a roof over our heads and, and food on the table, and every month we fell behind. Um, but there were food stamps, and there was a public school, and I was able to finish high school and, 
this is really a love letter to America for saving me and my family so that I could finish high school. Um, you know, when my family was on our knees and, and, and we couldn't, we, you know, we didn't know how the next, we were going to face the next day. As long as we didn't give up, America didn't give up on us. And then I talked a lot about, you know, what it was like to serve in the Army for 23 years and how privileged it was to serve next to some of the greatest and most amazing patriots, men and women I've ever served with, to my left and to my right, in the Illinois National Guard. So I want my daughter to read this book and understand that, yeah, this, this you know, less than perfect union that we call America, it's worth the fight. So, Senator, when you open the book, you t- the first chapter is titled Half Child. That definition of half child, is that what you just explained in being a biracial child in, in Thailand? Is that uh, where that comes from? It is. So I was born in Southeast Asia in Thailand um, uh, during during the Vietnam War. My dad was an American soldier. My mom is, uh, is Chinese Thai, um, Chinese descent, but born and raised in Thailand. Um, the word in, in the Thai language for a, a mixed-race child um, is a half-child. It is Luke, Luke is, is child and Kung is half. So... Uh, I, you know, that's what people always call, oh, they would look at me and they know right away I had freckles, I didn't have beautiful porcelain colored porcelain skin like they did. My hair um, is a little bit curly because my dad's hair was curly, so every time, you know, there's any humidity, and let me tell you, in Thailand, at 100 degree heat, there's a lot of humidity, my hair would frizz up, um, and, and, you know, my, but my cousins, my Thai cousins all had beautiful, I had right in the book about beautiful, long, shiny black curtains of hair, you know, I just looked different from them, I was bigger than them, and they would, you know... Never let me forget that I was a, that I was you know a half child and that I wasn't quite as good as they were. So you mentioned as well in the book when you went to basic training for the army and is that when you learn and learned that you were minimally equal to all others because the army puts everybody in the same bracket no matter where you're from how tall how short anything um, that you were then equal to everybody else because everybody begins at that point. But then a guy said that um, yeah. Yeah, a guy said that all females are. As you got through basic training, I read that a guy a guy said that all females are. Um, I won't use the word that you use in the book, but all females are messed up <laughs> at advance camp, and you guys can use your imagination for what messed was for. What do you mean by that, and how did that motivate you? Well, we were um, uh, getting ready, this is to get our commissioning, and um, just before commissioning, you have to go and do this, um, uh, um, you know, like 10 or 12 weeks uh, of being evaluated for your skills as, as, before you could get commissioned to be a second lieutenant, and uh, we were training for it, and I was a, um, a junior cadet, and there were the senior cadets were, were training us, and one day when we were out at a training exercise, we were in a barracks, we dirty, muddy Tired. I, I describe this in detail in the book. You can read it. It's, it's one of the, in the book is, is um, it's pretty, parts of it are very serious, like talking about my shoe time, but parts of it I hope makes people laugh out loud. Um, and uh, I was waiting for permission to, we were all standing at attention, holding our rifles in front of us, um, uh, and wait, just waiting for these senior cadets to say, okay, at ease, go ahead and start cleaning your rifles, and then you can go hit the rack. And one of the senior cadets um, said that, you know, in my opinion, all the females who were at this advanced camp, which is where you go to get evaluated, where I was going to head in a few months, were all effed up. And um, I just kept looking straight ahead like a good soldier, but apparently my knuckles turned white on my M16 because he looked over and he came over and he apologized for what he said um, as I was sitting there cleaning my rifle and started helping me clean the rifle and he smiled at me 
And by the time I was done shooting my rifle, he had my phone number, and he's, he's been my husband now for 30 <laughs> years. That's <laughs> Cadet Brian Bosey. That is the worst pickup line ever. I'll tell your <laughs> listeners, do not use that pickup line. <laughs> it worked on me, but... Um, <laughs> you never know. He probably hadn't practiced don't it before. Do it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he said he said he saw the glare on the back of his neck, the heat from, um, you know, uh, from my scorn. So he felt he needed to come over and apologize right away. Um, uh, but, you know, <laughs> wow. he got my number at the end of it. Well, it worked. <laughs> it, it clearly worked. And you yeah, guys have worked. been together since then. Yeah. Uh, Senator, if you can, you know, yeah. you began this story with talking about your daughter and her recognition that your legs are missing. Uh, talk about your service, your time in Iraq, and, and what happened in that helicopter on November 12, 2004. Well, we had been, the Illinois National Guard had been in Iraq for 10, um, 10 months, uh, uh, 8 months, 10 months. And we had been there, um, and we were actually on our way home. We were starting to prepare to come home um, in the last, or like, three months of our, of our deployment. And uh, I was just out flying a mission, a regular mission, just like any other day that we've been flying for months. And this was during the second battle for Fallujah. And uh, at the end of the day, we were headed back to Balad. Um, uh, our camp was called Anaconda. Um, and we got detoured to pick up some extra passengers. And we took the detour, picked up that, you know, and on our way back, we got hit. And, and uh, basically the bad guys threw everything they had up into the air. You know, You know how, like, you got a whole bunch of kids on the basketball court, and they're all throwing balls at the at the hoop. And somebody just gets lucky, and one goes one goes through nothing but net. Like right. you throw enough balls in the air, one's going to go through nothing but net. That's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we were flying low and fast. Uh, I described this in detail in the book. Uh, I, I hear the small arms fire hitting the the side of my aircraft just outside my right door. Ping, 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 metal on metal. I, I use my good army language, swear, <laughs> swore, and, and said, you know, we've been hit. And as I leaned forward to hit the GPS to you know, note where the, where we got hit, um, an RPG just came through, nothing but net, and landed in my lap and blew up. Uh, and then it was it was a fight to land the aircraft, and it was a fight to save my life. Um, at once you got the bird on the ground, uh, Dan Milberg, my, my pilot in command, landed it. Um, he looked at me, thought I was dead. Uh, he said I was nothing but torso. Uh, he could see my, my leg laying on the floor of the aircraft, and he then... Um, you know, proceeded to get everybody to safety and came back and picked up and, and fought and carried my body so that my parents would have something to bury. And that the bad guys couldn't get my body to show it off on CNN and drag it through the streets. Um, and because you wouldn't leave me behind, I'm here today. And, and every day since that day has been a gift. That's why the book is called Every Day is a Gift, because every day since that day has been a gift that I have to live up to every single day to the sacrifices my buddies made to save me. It's on page 126. Every Day is a Gift by Senator Tammy Duckworth. Can you tell us, I know we're running short on time now, but what was it like to be in D.C. on January 6th of, 1920, of uh, 2021? Um, for me, it was a betrayal and, and anger. You know, I wasn't worried for my safety because I knew I could take care of myself. Um, one of my staff members is a former Iraqi um, translator who helped enforce the no-fly zone and who fought against Saddam Hussein. And um, and he was with me at the time, and so we both knew we could take care of ourselves. Um, and we barricaded ourselves on a safe location and waited a few hours for the Capitol Police to come get us. For me, it was more fury, and it was more betrayal, because I watched on TV, and I saw people carrying the same American flag 
that was on my shoulder, on my uniform when I went to combat. They used that flag to beat police officers, and they used that flag to break down the, the, the windows and the doors of our nation's capital, and they, these insurrectionists, how dare they? You know, Americans have died. Uh, you know, Asian Americans have died while their family members were in internment camps. You know, uh, black Americans have died even as their family members were discriminated against. Uh, my ancestors fought in the revolution, uh, you know, all of this for this capital. And, th- and then I saw that they brought the, the, the Confederate battle flag into our capital. Even during the Civil War, that flag never made its way into the capital. And I just was so mad. I'm sorry, I'm getting mad now thinking about it. No, I just please. so mad. I felt so especially betrayed by the veterans. Who were there, and so we're going to go. We're going to, you know, prosecute these people. We're going to stay on this, and we're not going to let them perpetuate this lie um, that that you know they use as a rallying cry to attack our nation's capital. I didn't serve twenty three years. I didn't lose my leg uh, to allow something like this to happen. I never thought it would have to defend the United States of America's capital. You know, and when I was in Iraq and you know helping them fight against insurgents. Uh, when I was all around the world in uniform, you know, helping other countries, I never thought ever that I would have to defend my own nation's capital against our own people. And Senator, I was at home. I'd never watched the Electoral College vote before, but for whatever reason, I decided to watch it this time. And just watching the juxtaposition of you all in session and all that was going on outside, and as they came inside the Capitol, was just it was it was unbelievable TV. It was unbelievable and had to be even more so with you being right there inside. I want to ask you one more question before, before I know you have to go, but I need to ask you this question. As an Asian American in this current climate, speaking to an audience who knows all about pain, suffering, and discrimination, what are your thoughts on the current climate in the United States for Asian Americans, and how can we be helpful in your struggle? Thank you. I, you know, I think it's about actually teaching the AAPI community um, to speak up and to fight. Part of what's happening with AAPIs is that we're always seen as the other. You know, I've been in uniform with a flag on my shoulder and had somebody ask me, where am I from? And mm-hmm. a fellow American, I mean, I, well, I'm from here. What are you talking about? Um, so Asian Americans are always seen as an other. Like, we don't quite fit in. And, and also Asian Americans have been, throughout our history, taught not to speak up. I would say the community is probably, you know, a good 60 years behind the activism of the black community. I w- and I will tell you that within Washington, D.C., the three caucus, we call ourselves the Tri-Caucus, the Black Caucus, the Latino Caucus, and the Asian American Caucus, we work very well together, and we work as a block um, to uh, to fight for justice, to fight for civil um, rights. Um, and I think within the community at large, this is where we can help each other um, and recognize that AAPIs are discriminated against, that um, you know we our crimes against Asian Americans are underreported, uh, and women, Asian women, tend to be the targets of, the, of, of those crimes more often than not. In fact, in the last year, um, hate crimes against Asian Americans rose by 150% in our cities. Those are just the ones that are reported, and two-thirds of those crimes were against Asian women. So we, you know, we could use a lot of allies, and, and I, I try to be an ally as much as I can on, on all the different causes, but I think this is where those who have been oppressed need to be helping each other. Um, because here's what I here's what I said um, to my to the members of the Tri Caucus. Like, I'm tired of our three communities being forced to fight over the same slice of pie. There is enough pie for everyone. So stop pitting Asians against Blacks against Latinos. 
Let's stop doing that. We, there's enough pie. We all get at least a slice, and we should all have a seat at the table so that none of us are on the menu. Um, and, and that's what I'm fighting for in Washington. Amen. Truer words were never spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Senator Tammy Duckworth. Her memoir, Every Day is a Gift, pick it up at the bookstore, pick it up wherever you get books. She's going to be interviewed by David Axelrod on April 6th at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. You can check it out at Anderson, with an O, andersonbookshop.com. Senator, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you for writing this memoir. I picked it up last night, got through some of it. Glad to be able to talk with you now and looking forward to speaking with you again in the very near future. Thank you so much. I hope you laughed out loud during some parts. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Thank I mean, you. and your your laugh is infectious. So thank you so much. And given all that you've done and all that you've been through, on behalf of all of us, thank you for your service and thank you for representing us well in Congress. We need it now. And we need all the fight and all the fervor and all of the um, extra language that you learn either in Thailand or in the in the service. Uh, we need all of that because it's all necessary to command the respect and the honor that's necessary at this time because these are truly some difficult and interesting times in this country, in this world, and certainly in Washington, D.C. Thank you. Be safe.